Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. Today, I'll be speaking very tangentially with uh, Josh Mullen, who is an expert in alternative currencies, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Litecoin, and uh, that sort of thing. Um, As you'll hear, I'm sort of out of my depth on this. So if you have no idea what this stuff is, you will probably feel right at home because I didn't either. I'm not sure I do after the conversation, but he's uh, certainly very knowledgeable and interesting guy and tells some pretty funny stories about the intersection of politics and economics and um, just nerdy creativity and sense of humor in the development of all these things. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audible.com dot audible trial dot com slash sex at dawn uh, you can get all sorts of stuff they've got over 150,000 titles to choose from you can get them on your iPhone Android Kindle mp3 player on your laptop on your desktop whatever you like um, as I said you get a free download even if you cancel at the end of the trial period you still get to keep your free audiobook which is pretty cool Of course, they've got Sex at Dawn. You knew they would. Um, They've also got great books by Mary Roach. So if you listen to this podcast regularly, you've heard me uh, chatting with Mary Roach, and you know how funny and interesting she is. So maybe you want to check out one of her audiobooks, uh, Gulp, Bonk, uh, Packing for Mars, and so on. This episode is also brought to you by ExtremeRestraints.com extremerestraints.com for all your S&M needs. Even if you're not into S&M, you might check them out. Just You never know when you're going to need a leather harness or um, <clears throat> a cock ring or what, what have you. There's one more week left in the special, sec, uh, tangentially speaking, promotional with uh, Extreme Restraints. If you enter the code SPRINGSEX, SPRINGSEX, um, you can uh, get 20% off your entire order, which is pretty cool. Uh, as I say, there's one more week from, from the date of posting this podcast that you can get that 20% uh, discount. ExtremeRestraints.com, and the uh, discount code is SPRINGSEX. Last but not least, we're brought to you by my package, MYPAK. A-G-E.com. Check them out for really the best men's underwear there is. Now, this might sound like bullshit, but I'm telling you it's true. They've got this underwear with the, um, I'll read it from their website. Their patented keyhole comfort technology creates the best and most comfortable underwear experience for men. The three-dimensional internal pouch provides both unparalleled support and comfort. By cradling the male package, our keyhole comfort technology allows absolute freedom and eliminates the need for any shifting and adjusting. And I'm here to tell you that's true. It is true. Uh, If you find yourself uh, shifting, you know, left to right, uh, up and down and around and around, it can be pretty embarrassing in public, you know, like you got to move your junk around. It's getting uncomfortable in one place, another place. Well, this underwear is great. It just sort of, it holds it like a, like a, like a very supportive friend. Let's just put it that way. 
the package, uh, sorry, the underwear is made out of modal, modal, which I guess everyone knows what that is except me. 95% modal and 5% spandex. It's uh, 50% more moisture absorbent than cotton while still being incredibly breathable. That's right. So it's the super high tech, great material. Uh, they've got different models. They even have like long leg models for, you know, you cross country skiers or whatever. Um, anyhow, check it out. My package, dot com, And uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's some pretty serious stuff. I am not a fan of underwear, but I'm wearing some of this right now and I'm very happy about it. All right. Other than that, be sure to go to chrisryanphd.com if you're not there already and check the store. Uh, we've got all these cool t-shirts, short design t-shirts from Thailand with their amazing, wonderful, soft, stretchy, breathable, 100% cotton. Don't know how they do it, but it is not like any other cotton you've ever felt. It's silky smooth and uh, very thin but strong. Very interesting stuff. Anyhow, we've got a bunch of new designs on the site. Go to the store. You'll see them. The uh, Civilized to Death, the favorite Sex at Dawn uh, mandala design and um, some other stuff up there. We've got uh, women's tank tank tops, which are really sexy and cool as well. So com store. And you can also find Talking Out My Ass there, the subscription-only inner circle sort of sitting around the fire telling stories podcast where you can sit around the fire with me and listen to me yammer on about my days of crazy exploration and adventure. Strange, you know, while I was doing that stuff, I always wanted to sort of, my my aspiration was to become like, you know, an older guy with lots of good stories. And it's somewhat, it's somewhat great, but also somewhat troubling to find that that's what happened. <laughs> and so here I am. I'm not young anymore. And But I do have lots of stories. So um, Milan Kundera, the great novelist, said that uh, people write novels because their kids don't listen to them. So I don't even have any kids. But uh, apparently there are at least a few hundred people out there who, uh, who think it's worth 20 bucks to hear me tell these stories. So uh, I really appreciate that. And if you're interested... The first one's free, and then after that's 20 bucks for as many as you want to listen to. I cover everything from my drug incidents, my, my you know, I, I've had some really good experiences and some not-so-good experiences, uh, my little uh, sojourn into a medium-security prison in Alaska, various near-death experiences, uh, going to a wedding with guys who I think were probably pre-Taliban in northern India. I'll get into all this stuff. Some uh, some crazy close encounters and ridiculous, humiliating stuff that I did um, in my in my wild wild youth. So that's that's on talking out my ass, which is also at my website, chrisryanphd.com. Without any further ado, let's get into this conversation about the future of money. I found it very interesting. I hope you will too. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss 
That's not bad to have rain in the background. Oh, no, right? it's soothing. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to put your listeners to sleep, though. That's, that's right. <laughs> All right. I'm here with Josh Molin, CEO of Wow Such Business. Actually, he's not only CEO, he's the founder and CEO, but he's not wearing a tie. He's got a short sleeve shirt on and a little Irish cap like I wear all the time. In fact, we, we kind of look similar. We could be relatives. Yeah, we could do a stunt double type thing. Yeah. We to fight in for each other. Do people ever say you look like Philip Seymour Hoffman? I've heard that, but I, yeah. I don't have the gray hair or anything like that. Oh, you yet. will, so, fucker. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> will. Especially as a CEO. Your, your hair is what, reddish, brownish? It's a brownish red. Yeah, the yeah. beard, when I grow it out, it turns red. So, yeah. yeah. Well, as, as a guy who's you know 25 years down the road from you, I can tell you that uh, the nice thing about having reddish hair is that as you go gray, people think you're blonde. Ah, they don't, don't see that, that it's gray. Yeah. It just turns blonde, you know? So that's uh, one of the few few benefits. <laughs> you got the skin cancer to deal with. Yep, you, yep. You're well, fucked on that level. Well, here in the Pacific Northwest, we don't have to deal with that sun too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. Uh, by the way, if, if anyone's uh, hearing a strange rustling in the background, that's the rain falling outside the window. I uh, got caught in a hailstorm about an hour ago, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty wild weather up here. So anyway, Josh... Uh, I don't remember exactly how all this happened, but somebody contacted me and sent me some emails um, encouraging me to get into alternative currencies so people could tip the podcast with um, with Bitcoin. With uh, is it Dogcoin or Dogecoin? It's it's actually pronounced Doge. Yeah. Doge, but but there's a dog on the thing on the symbol right yeah yeah so, so it's, it's actually an internet meme that kind of took off last year and i think it was voted like the, the number one internet meme in 2013 so who votes on internet memes how, how, is that on like <laughs> reddit or something reddit probably pay, played a big part i can't remember what service actually said it was the internet meme of the year but uh-huh. it was pretty popular there for a while and it's it's kind of silly it's kind of absurd and uh the whole the whole coin itself is probably one of the craziest things that i've ever seen so it's pretty cool. It's like it's, a, a funny, cute dog, right? Yeah, it's it's a cute dog, uh, and you know the whole story itself has been just phenomenal. Um, and a, for a lot of folks, it's their first introduction to a cryptocurrency or a digital currency at all. Right. And why why would they enter through that? Because Bitcoin's been around longer, right? Yeah, Bitcoin's been around since two thousand nine. So right. it's been it's been around for quite a while. It's made you know a lot of news in the last couple of years because of the price increase. Uh, Dogecoin's only been around five months, and in the last five months, I think the reason it's become so popular is just because we don't take ourselves too seriously, mm. and it's not something that uh, is kind of off-putting. It's very easy for people to get involved with, and right. it's fun. Right. Okay, we, we keep saying the word it. What the hell are we talking about, really? You <laughs> so, know, because I really don't even know what the hell we're talking. I don't even yeah. know what money is. Yeah, much so, less crypto money. So, so to give you kind of the uh, the simplest version, I explain, and this is how I tell everybody what Dogecoin actually is: is it's magical internet money. Um, it's you know, to go into the the kind of the technical background. It's it's basically you know with any fiat currency like the U.S. dollar or euros or whatever, uh, anyone can you know anyone at the government level can kind of strike it into existence with a stroke of a pen. 
So mm-hmm. if you've got, you know, say a trillion dollars in U.S. dollars and you want to add another trillion, well, all you need to do is print more. Well, with a digital currency or a cryptocurrency, instead of having a central authority that can issue these coins at will, it's actually based on a cryptographic algorithm. So at any given point in time, a certain set number of coins are going to be generated. So you can actually predict how many coins are going to come into existence over the next 50 years or so. Because it's a steady stream? Precisely. Yep. It's all based off the math and the algorithm. And, okay, so it's a, it's a steady growth pattern. So mm-hmm. there are, let's say, you know, 10,000 bit uh, Dogecoins in existence right now, and it's 1,000 a month. Uh, so you can, is that how it works? Like, you know, how, and who's introducing those? Where are they coming from? What's the source of the additional currencies? So what happens is every minute in the Dogecoin ecosystem, we'll start with Bitcoin because it's the biggest okay. and probably the easiest to explain because right. it's been around for a while. So with Bitcoin, uh, what happens is the, the miners, which are you know people like myself or people like you, that are running the software that is basically solving math problems at a ridiculous rate. So at every point in time, there is a reward for these uh, problems that one person in the network gets. So you're trying to solve a problem, and you're basically trying to win the lottery. If you solve this math problem successfully, then you get... 50 bitcoins, or in this case, 25 bitcoins. So these are math problems that have nothing to do with currency. They're just abstract math problems. Right, right. So what these math problems do is, it's kind of hard to explain, and because I'm not a you know full math genius, but what they do is... Partial math genius? <laughs> I did pretty good in calculus in <laughs> okay. high school. So <laughs> I failed. I failed. But I sat behind this really cute girl. Ah, so there you go. The, there you you know, go. I, I chatted her up for a few months. Yeah. Nice. So what happens is the algorithm itself, the more people that you have mining, quote-unquote, and they call it mining even Uh though it's just solving math problems, Uh but they call it mining because you get a reward, and the reward is the Bitcoins or the Dogecoins or whatever coin you're mining. And are you solving the problem or your computer's just working on it? Your computer's whittling away trying to solve these math problems. Mm. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to find out what magical number the algorithm put in there that'll unlock that block. And a block is the kind of the... We call it what the blockchain is. The blockchain is this public ledger. It's it's an entirely transparent ledger of transactions that take place. So if I was to send one Bitcoin from me to you, then that would be put into the blockchain. Right. Now, the miners, what they do is they secure the blockchain. They make sure that every transaction is valid and that every transaction follows the code. So these math problems that they're solving are not only securing these transactions, but they're also going to unlock that reward once that block is solved. So in the Bitcoin ecosystem, every 10 minutes, there's a block. So what's to stop the NSA with their super-duper you know, macro incredible computers from just coming in and sucking up all the value? They've done the math. Uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, who's, uh, he's kind of the, one of the big public advocates for Bitcoin, uh, he actually did the math on how much it would cost any particular government to uh, do a 51% attack or control basically the blockchain network. Right. And it, it gets into the billions of billions of dollars. Just because Bitcoin's been around since 2009 and there's so many people uh, invested in this, there's a massive amount of wealth that would have to be ingested into this ecosystem uh, in order to actually do an attack on the Bitcoin network. So following that logic, is Dogecoin more vulnerable to that sort of attack? Absolutely. Any of the smaller coins uh, that don't have kind of the the big status of Bitcoin are still vulnerable to these attacks. Just because there's a smaller amount of value in circulation. Correct, correct. But the advantage, and this is kind of, the Satoshi Nakamoto is the, the pseudonymous or pseudonymous um, creator of Bitcoin. Right. And, you know, p- 
people still don't know who he is. Uh, he's he or she, or they in this case, um, left the Bitcoin ecosystem years ago. So now it's kind of being handled by a number of programmers and developers. Did he, she, or they take any money with them when they left? Surprisingly, yeah. They uh, they have I want to say like a, an absurd amount of bitcoins that are worth you know close to several hundreds of millions of dollars. Really? I think. Yeah. Interesting. But they haven't been spent. Uh, they haven't cashed it in. They haven't so cashed it like out. It's like they hold shares, but they're not cashing it. Yeah. Now, as the supply grows with this constant stream of, of new currency being introduced, isn't that inflationary? Until a point, yes. So the block rewards in the Bitcoin network, uh, they have every four years. So when Bitcoin started uh, in 2009, the block reward was 50 Bitcoins. So every time a block was solved, every 10 minutes, whoever solved that block got 50 Bitcoins. Uh, after, let's see, this is 2014. So in 2013, the first halving occurred. So the block reward went from 50 to 25. So now if you solve a Bitcoin block, you get 25 Bitcoins. In three more years, it's going to have again to 12 and a half until eventually it gets down to zero. So at that point, there will be no more Bitcoins put into the ecosystem and all the transactions will be kind of solidified and guaranteed by transaction fees on the network. Wow, that sounds like it makes sense, but I, I have no idea what it means. <laughs> so at that point when no more uh, Bitcoins are being introduced into the ecosystem, do we know how many coins that is? Are they saying we'll get to 10 million and that's it? Or, yeah, it's yeah. in the Bitcoin ecosystem, it'll be 22 million. 22 million. And yep. do you know why that number was chosen or who chose it or how that came about? Not off the top of my head. I think it had to do with the algorithm that was chosen yeah. and just the, the steady block reward. So I think, you know, if you add up the math of 10 minutes times 50 Bitcoins times four years and then right. divide it down, it eventually reaches 22 million. What, what is an algorithm? A uh, math problem or a math equation. It's just a math equation. Yeah, it's a complicated right. math equation or a simple math equation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I always think of Al Gore when I think of algorithm. <laughs> Al, Al Gore th- Al rhythm. Al Gore rhythm. <laughs> it's sort of a, a contradiction in terms. Ah, like uh, yeah. The least rhythmic guy in the world, right? I, I, I heard he invented the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And rhythm. Yeah. Al Gore rhythm. Um, okay, so, so, all right, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So, so, New bitcoins or Dogecoins or because there are a bunch of these things now. Right? Oh, there's there's yeah. hundreds. Yeah. So now the value of these things, whatever it is, I mean, there's inflation. There's obviously inflation because there's new currency being added to an ecosystem. Right. But the value of these things fluctuates up and down. Right. Right. D- depending on what. Depending on how much people are willing to pay for them. And it's kind of an open market system. Right. Um, you know, without kind of any regulatory compliance issues, uh, it's basically a free market. Right. So, you know, if I want to sell 100 Bitcoins, I can go to an exchange, look at the current price, and then see how if, if I sell these 100 Bitcoins, am I going to you know, start crashing the market or is it going to kind of stabilize? Um, in November and December, the, the price of Bitcoin just shot up. It was over $1,000 a Bitcoin. Uh, these days, it's kind of hovering around 450 in the U.S. 450. Yeah, yeah. Right, because it, it sort of crashed a bit when there was all that weirdness. Like one of the exchanges 
collapsed and yeah, and one somebody of the, stole a bunch of money. Oh, I, man, I didn't really understand. It's yeah. yeah it, what, what happened there? So what happened was one of the largest exchanges, Mount Gox. Mount Gox. Right. Yeah, which was based out of Japan. Um, they had some issues, and they wouldn't really say what their issues were, but users were reporting that they couldn't withdraw, they were having problems getting their coins, and still to this day, we really don't know what happened. Uh, there's been some investigations, uh, they're pretty tight-lipped about what they're saying, but uh, long story short, they lost a lot of money. So now, you said that the, what was it called, the box chain? The blockchain, yeah. The blockchain is transparent yes all transactions are open to public viewing right right now but these transactions are between what uh ip address and ip address right it's actually uh so it's what's called a bitcoin address so Uh, when you generate an address it's just a long series of numbers and letters and that's what's called your it's based on public and private key cryptography Mm. Uh, so you have a private key which is kind of like your key to your bank vault right and then you've got your public key which is kind of like your address or your bank account so the blockchain itself, you can see transactions from one address to another, but you may not know who owns that address because it's all just a series of numbers and letters. Does the NSA know? Uh, you never know. <laughs> all right, so it's not it's not actively uh, hidden. What's the word? Crypto, cryptographically or crypto? Encrypted or encrypted, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's you know people always say that Bitcoin's anonymous, and that's not really true. It's pseudonymous. pseudonymous. Mm. Where you know you you can see all the transactions that take place, but it unless you add, like if I came out and said, "Hey, here's my Bitcoin address," no one's going to know that I particularly own this particular address. Right, right. So these currencies, for, I don't know if this is true. I, I heard someone say that these currencies are very popular with um, you know drug dealers and assassins. Right, right. The big. Uh, big news last year was the the Silk Road bust. Right. And Silk Road was a, a kind of a famous um, underground marketplace online. I mean, you could buy practically. For drugs. Primarily. For drugs, for, you know, fake IDs, for falsified passports. I mean, it was literally the one of the biggest dark markets online. So if you wanted to buy practically anything, you could buy it on there. I think they had a few rules, like you couldn't sell child pornography, you couldn't sell, you know, certain things. Um, but for the most part, it was mostly an online drug marketplace. And that was uh, actually shut down by the feds last year. Um, And they seized a fuck ton of cash. It was like, uh, I think it was in the tunes of millions and millions of dollars that were actually seized from the the Silk Road marketplace. So, but the Silk Road marketplace was not a physical place. Yeah, it was all online. Right. right. So, so how do they seize money from this non-existent place? Because they'd have to like find all of the suppliers, and it's actually a, a kind of a cool story of how how it got busted. Uh, the guy that supposedly ran the site, uh, he went by the, the alias the Dread Pirate Roberts from Princess Bride. Well, they had tracked him down to this place in San Francisco. And what they had actually done is they needed they knew his laptop was encrypted, so if the laptop was closed, there was no chance in hell of them ever finding anything on there. Mm. But they had found his laptop, they found him in a library, and they actually managed to get to him before he closed the laptop, and all the coins were actually on his laptop. So there was something like, you know, a good eighty million or ninety million dollars worth of bitcoins on his on actual, his hard drive. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So the FBI has that now. <laughs> Okay, very strange. Yeah. So that's because 
his laptop was the marketplace. That's where people were sending their money, and then he was forwarding it on to the suppliers. Supposedly, he had a server somewhere, I believe, in Eastern Europe, and that's where all the uh, the transactions were taking place. But it was all done through uh, what's called the, the Tor network, uh, which is uh, kind of a an underground internet uh, that goes over the internet. So it's all kind of encrypted, and uh, you can't actually access any of these sites unless you use the Tor browser. So it's an un- right. kind of like an underground internet. Okay. <laughs> it's a crazy I, world out yeah. there. <laughs> but it's not even out there. That's the thing. But yeah, it's, the, it just exists online. It's yeah. like a, yeah, it's like radio waves or something. It's some, you know, or infrared light or it's it, it, it's it exists but on in a dimension that uh, isn't readily visible to me. Yeah. And it's an age-based thing, I think. You know, like I think it's more visible to young people than it is to older people. Yeah, I mean, especially if you think about what it actually is, is it's just some random server in a data center somewhere that's chugging away, that's processing millions and millions of dollars of transactions. So, so what if an asteroid hits that server? Well, hopefully we have backups, but... <laughs> but, but like, so, so let's just say one way or another, a bomb goes off or whatever, the server's gone. So yeah. then the record of all transactions is gone. So what's that mean? Like pending deals are... are so with the Bitcoin network, what happens is, uh, like, if you if you download the entire Bitcoin client and download the blockchain, this entire ledger of transactions is stored on every computer that operates it. So it's right. entirely decentralized. Okay. So at my at my house, on my on my computer, you know, I've got a copy of the blockchain, and so do you know millions. Of and other that's people. updating constantly. Yeah, it's updating every ten minutes. And how much data is that? I believe right now it's about nineteen gigs. So you've just got like massive hard drives that are just holding it and backing it up, backing it up. Yeah, the yeah. the blockchain itself is only one component. The uh, the wallet files, which actually are just you know your private key and your public key, those you can fit on a USB stick. So I've got you know a copy at my house, mm. like you know an encrypted copy at my house, and then you know I've got a couple at my bank vault too, or right. my safety deposit box as well. So if if the server blows up, burns out, yep. you know whatever happens to the server. All this value would disappear, or not? Because you've you've got the value in that code that you've got on your hard drives. Yeah, right? yeah. The value is actually stored in the blockchain. The so value is information. Yeah, and that information is, is replicated. Yeah. So okay. the value is actually stored in the blockchain itself. What okay. what happens is you just have this magic key, this private key that unlocks the ability for you to send your coins to other people. Okay. So as long as your private keys are secured, you know you could lose a server, and if you've got a backup key, then you can still access it. So, getting back to Mount Gox, yes, and all this missing money and mystery there. Given the transparency of the blockchain, why can't we see who's got the money and where it went and what happened? It's it's kind of funny because some people have actually looked into it. And they know where the money went, but they don't know who owns those addresses. So that's the mm. thing is you can trace the transactions. But unless you know who owns those addresses, it's just some anonymous person. So it's like a Swiss bank account. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. yeah. So they know where the money went. They know it's there. Now, can they, knowing that, can they then see what happens with that money? So if someone using that account then buys you know, a yacht, can, can they see that? Yeah, that's the thing. Is, so you know, the weakest link is always where you associate your identity to, to some physical, right? Yeah. yeah. So if they cashed out, you know, for like a million or two million on an exchange like Coinbase that's tied to your bank account, they would know where the money went, or at right. least Coinbase would know where the money went. Right. And what's the relationship between the government and 
Coinbase or Dogecoin or whatever? How does that work? It's it's still being discussed. It's been because it's such a new ecosystem and regulators still don't quite understand it. Um, it depends on what country you're in and you know who you're talking to. And the I mean, the the most recent ruling with the Treasury Department and the IRS is like you've got two conflicting agencies. You've got the IRS and FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, both issuing guidance. And it's almost contradictory. IRS says, <laughs> yeah, I know, two agencies under the same head saying two different things. So FinCEN says, oh, it's a currency. IRS says, no, it's a commodity. So right. we're still in the, the infant stages of what a regulatory environment is going to look it's like. Got, it, it is, all right, now this is out of left field. But yeah. you were saying that, talking about the two aid government agencies giving completely different advice or, or guidance. Um, reminded me of the marijuana situation where the yeah. feds, you know, like in California, the feds are busting people for doing things that are that's legal in their state. Yep. Right? Um, is is there? Do you think it's purely coincidental that American society is? You know, you know what I mean. Is there yeah. some reason for the parallel in in marijuana uh, decriminalization and this financial? Is there is there an anarch? Is there anarchy in this? Is there? Because you're talking about decentralization, you're talking about transparency. That sounds egalitarian, yeah, anarchical. I'm not sure. What's the politics of all this? Oh, the politics are fucking crazy. I mean, if early, in the early days, like a lot of the the early adopters of Bitcoin were hardcore libertarians and okay. you know hardcore anarcho capitalists. Right. So those were the folks that initially got involved, and then you started seeing once the price started rising, you started seeing businesses and re- regulators get interested in this. So the politics is just absurd right now, especially in the United States. Overseas, it's a lot different. You have, you know, overseas adoption, especially in the in the EU, um, has been overwhelmingly positive. Really? Yeah. Even governmental? Even governmental, yeah. Why? Why is that? I, I think because, you know, it's really hard to say. It's like some like some governments have been more positive towards it, as in, you know, they're, they're looking to embrace this change and embrace the, you know, the kind of the... I've got a proposal. Yeah. Reserve <laughs> currency. Reserve currency. They want to get away from the dollar as the reserve currency. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the things about about Bitcoin that makes it very interesting is you know kind of the resistance against fractional reserve banking. Is you know that's kind of the big push right now. Is that explain fractional reserve banking? Uh, I don't have I don't have all the money I say I have. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if I say I have a million dollars in the bank and I've actually lent out nine hundred thousand. Uh, and I only hold a hundred thousand. I don't actually have a million dollars. Which bank. is how banking which is works. Which is how banking works, and yep. which is what causes crashes because right. people say, "Oh, I'm getting nervous. Give me my money back." And then it turns out the bank doesn't have your money. Exactly. And that's when things get fucking weird. Yeah. It's like if everyone with a, uh, a membership at the gym decided to go on the same day. Mm-hmm. Right. No way. It's like overselling, overbooking an airplane. Exactly. We do it all the time, but where you might overbook a, a flight by you know five to ten percent. The the reserve banking is overbooking by ninety five. You know, you got five dollars and you say you got a hundred. Right. That's why because they're taking that other ninety five and they're investing it and they're playing games with it and they're doing all sort. They're lending it back to you at way inflated interest rates and they're fucking you over left and right. Those. 
fucking bankers. And that's why you see a lot of the uh, the fuck the banks folks yeah. in the Bitcoin space. I'll bet. Yep. Yeah. Because it's a rigged game. Yeah. It reminded, I was talking, uh, I did a podcast with Joe Rogan and Duncan yeah. Trussell yesterday, and we were talking about how Ben Affleck got kicked out of this casino in Vegas. <laughs> I heard about that. For winning. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I mean, that that is the definition of a rigged game, where they kick you out if you start winning. Yep. And I feel like in economics and banking, certainly that's the way it works. It's like... The banks win, yep. or the game's over. Yep, yep. And and they win if they lose. If they lose, we we bail them out. If they win, they keep their fucking money. It's right. like just a way. I used to work for this millionaire in New York. I had this job for a while in the Diamond District. Mm-hmm. I worked for this guy, filthy rich dude, um, <laughs> very rich guy who who every day he was in his seventies. Um, he had a house in Jamaica, the house of France. He had like private jets, the whole thing. Yeah. But every day he would get up and come to work, put on a suit and tie, come to work in Midtown, um, sit behind his, his big wood desk. And he had, um, in addition to owning these uh, buildings in mm-hmm. the Diamond District, he owned uh, a little company that was extracting precious metals from hearing aid batteries. Oh, wow. Right? And... He would sit behind his desk in a windowless office. Wow! Because he was the building owner, so they they rented all the you know the windows bring in more rent, so you rent all those out. Yep. And you sit in this windowless office in the center of this building in Midtown Manhattan, and he had this big, um, like a those jars, a mason jar yeah. full of uh, hearing aid batteries, and he would just dump some out on his desk, and he would. Like separate the ones that had titanium or something in them from the ones that didn't. He did that all day long. Wow. All right. That's yeah. what a guy does with $40 million right. in a bank. <laughs> anyway, I remember talking to him one day about the stock market. This was in the 80s when the stock market was booming. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I asked him if I should invest in the stock market. I had like, you know, $400 or something to invest. And he said to me, Chris, when common people are making money in the stock market that's when you get out yeah because the stock market is just a way for rich people to take money from everyone else right and that's how it happens yep. you know so uh, good advice and it's coming from a rich guy he and he was heavily invested in the stock market oh so yeah he knew what he was talking about anyway uh how did i get off onto that what were we talking about uh we're we talking about the price we're we talking about oh, oh the, the the political aspect the, yeah, of this and, and how you know, with the dollar being the reserve currency, what that means is that if people are paying their debts and buying and selling oil in dollars, mm-hmm. then there's one country on earth that can print their own money. Right. Right? That's yep. us. Yep. So so it gives the United States a huge advantage in all sorts of things because, you know, we owe China, I don't know how many hundreds of billions of dollars. Right. There's nothing really stopping us from just saying, hey, fuck you, China, and printing Print, yeah. all that money, and here's your money. It's yep. now worth nothing, but here it is, right? And meanwhile, because the money's, you know, devalued, then that increases our ability to export and, you know, gives us competitive advantage against other countries, yada, yada, yada. We control the game as long as the dollar's the reserve currency. And I know there's been a lot of talk. I think the euro was sort of hoping to replace the dollar. And so there's been a lot of um, satisfaction. What's the German word? Schadenfreude (laughs) over the the problems with the euro. And I wouldn't be surprised if the CIA had a hand in creating some of those problems. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so, so that's my, not that I know anything about any of this, but 
my sense of why European countries might be reacting more positively than American government, yeah. you know, anything that gets us away from the, the reserve dollar yep. um, is to their benefit. Right? right, right. And what's what's interesting about that, too, is one of the, the most hostile countries to Bitcoin right now is China. Oh. And and that's been one of the uh, the main factors, well, at least if you believe it, uh, in the price fluctuation. Because... The running joke now is that you know every week China says they're going to ban Bitcoin, and the next week they come back and say, "Oh no, no, never mind." So this has been so happening. So they're just trying to suppress the price. They could do yeah market manipulation, mm. those type of things, because with a kind of a virtual ecosystem or a virtual you know, market, um, price manipulation is not necessarily illegal. Uh, right. There's no regulatory authority. No one's going to come in and say, "Hey, hey, hey, you can't do that." Um, so this is all speculation. This is all you know. The central bank of China can come in and say, "Okay, well, we're going to you know start seizing accounts if you guys don't stop using Bitcoin." And then the next week they'll say, "Actually, that was a mistake. What we meant to say was this." And meanwhile, the price has gone up to 100, and then down 100, and then up 100. So you can tell that some people are you know kind of riding those waves, and there's a lot of day trading going on as well. So, day trading. In oh Bitcoin, yes, really? Yes. So what, what's your company do uh, while such business? So we come from a little bit uh, more of the silly side of Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> Bitcoin's been around since 2009. It's the big player. Mm. Uh, the other big player that came into the space was Litecoin. And Litecoin was uh, started by a guy named Charlie Lee who works uh, down, in, uh, down in San Francisco right now for Coinbase. And he came in and he said, well, you know, we kind of see what Bitcoin's doing right now. When we see the mining infrastructure, we see a lot of money coming in. And um, thanks. The, uh, the one thing that I want to do is make it uh, ASIC resistant. And ASICs are application-specific integrated circuits. What they do is uh, they're basically dedicated computers that are focused on one particular problem. And these dedicated computers focus on mining Bitcoins. Now, Charlie came in and said, hey, I, I want to have people like you and me be able to mine Bitcoins. You know, mm. It shouldn't be limited to people that have tens of thousands of dollars to invest in this equipment. Right. So he created a, a coin called Litecoin, and at the time it was kind of considered to be the silver to Bitcoin's gold. So if, if Bitcoin was gold, this would be silver. So it had a faster confirmation time, so it was only two minutes that a block was generated, and it, uh, it had a higher limit on the number of coins that will ever exist. So it was 84 million instead of uh, 22 million. So the other big change he made was the change to the algorithm. Instead of using uh, SHA-256... Uh, he used an algorithm called S-Crypt or Script. And it really took off. Uh, it it, it kind of got started. People you know, that were mining Bitcoins early on, they jumped over to the Litecoin side because their computers still could do it. Uh, meanwhile, they were priced out of mining Bitcoin because this, there were these huge investments coming in from people that saw the gold rush and jumped on that tra- uh, bandwagon. Now, fast forward to December of this, or this last year. Uh, everyone and their mother were making fucking altcoins. Like, there was a new coin coming out every day. Uh, Bitcoin had seen the phenomenal bubble in April of last year where it rose to $200 a coin, which everyone said was absurd. It's a bubble. It's going to crash. And it did. It dropped back down to about 50 And then over the summer, it kind of steadily grew a little bit and a little bit until about September, October. And we started seeing the price go up and up and up. And it didn't stop. I saw it pass 100. I saw it pass 200. I uh, saw it pass 500. And by December, it was up to about $1,000 a coin. And 
at this time, people that had been mining Litecoin were also mining all these other coins, hoping that the value would increase and they could pump the coin and then dump it on the market and sell it for Bitcoins. So because it's all open source, anyone could create a coin and get it out there. We were seeing like new coins come out every day. Now, about this time, I had been mining Litecoin and uh, I was making a decent amount of money. Just, you know, my electric bill was through the roof. They probably thought I was growing pot. Because of all these, all this computational, I, I had a bunch running. of graphics cards running an open rig. Uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. My friends all thought I was insane until I told them that I just paid for all this off in a month. So, so you pay it off by buying low, selling high, and using the cash then to pay for the computers, right? Is yeah. What so saying? what it was is I was I was mining these coins on a pool. So every every time a new coin was generated, it would pay me out in that coin, and then I'd sell the coins for bitcoins. And then with Bitcoins, I could cash that out into U.S. dollars. Even with Bitcoin at 1000 Oh, at 1000 it was great. We, everyone was making a lot of money. So you were still mining. buying at that point. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was buying it. I think I was buying around $450 uh, anytime it would drop down to that price. And then as soon as it would jump up to around 800 I would sell at that price. Yeah. So you know, I was getting in on the day trading, but I was much better at the mining and much better at the coding side of things. Mm. So... But you said you studied world religion or something. I, I studied, uh, yeah, I did a religious studies degree right. in college. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not a, are you a computer engineer or a I've mathematician been, or something? I've been programming since I was a kid. Ah, okay. Um, so I've always so been a passion, computers. but oh, your yeah. degrees in, in the world uh, religion. I, I went to college to have fun uh, and uh, learn. Smart. Yeah, right. yeah. And uh, the computer science, Humboldt State's not known for its computer yeah, I was science. Say, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought you were going to say Cal. Cal Tech or, or oh, no. <laughs> yeah okay yeah yeah computers you know computers and I have always been like I've always been good with computers always had fun with them you know it's been my passion um, I've been working in IT for pretty much most of my life so are you like laughing at me with dicking around with my garage band here oh and... no I'd, I'd love it like <laughs> <laughs> let's, hope that, let's hope we can actually hear this podcast mm-hmm. uh, it's the first one I'm recording on this re- on this microphone nice nice. Um, okay, so so, so where I'll, were we? You're... I'll tell you about the, the birth of Dogecoin. That's right. where we're all leading up to. Right. So the birth of Dogecoin is this was the time when everyone was making a new altcoin. And, I mean, she, she was like Ron Paul coin came out. It's like these absurd coins that just had no purpose except for everybody pump this. Transfer them over to yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, jack up the value, dump it, sell. Right. So at this time, I was mining uh, Litecoin, of course. And I was on the Bitcoin talk forum one day. And I saw this coin come out called Dogecoin. And it was based on an internet meme, and it was the silliest coin I had ever fucking seen. So I immediately started mining it, got about 3 million Dogecoins, because the the number of Dogecoins that are going to be released, I think, are like in the billions. Mm. So it's like 1.2 billion of these coins are going to come out. And I just thought it was great. So I, I mined it, and I told my friends, and I was like, hey, you guys got to check this out. This is the silliest thing I've ever seen. Now, didn't you feel like you were wasting your, your processing power? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's why I only mined for like an hour or two and then went straight back mining Litecoin. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> Which, if I look back, I would have made a lot more fucking money if I had actually stuck to mining yeah, Dogecoin. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah it, it, so December 8th, it came out. And uh, I thought it was funny. You know, everyone was having a good laugh. Like, we all, it was basically a joke coin. Right. And it was meant to be a joke. It was actually the two guys that made it, Jackson Palmer and Billy Marcus. Uh, it, it started with a tweet. It was actually investing in – Jackson put a tweet up on the internet that said, uh, investing in Dogecoin, pretty sure it's going to be the next big thing. And uh, another guy, Billy Marcus, he reached out to him and he said, hey, man, like I could totally make this. You want to do it? And Jackson was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. 
So in a couple of days, they actually had pushed the client out, and uh, the world's first joke coin was launched. And it took off like a fucking rocket. Like, people, you know, we started looking at the hash rate and you know, how many people were connected to the network, and it just started to grow and grow and grow. And that really surprised all of us because this was a coin that was meant to basically die out in a year. Uh, it was going to be a joke. Um, and all of us were just having fun with it. So about a week later, I was uh, on the Dogecoin subreddit, uh, which at the time had about you know 500,000 people on it. And they were asking for a tip bot. You know, They wanted a way that they could tip other people on Reddit with Dogecoins. So I said, well, fuck it. I can make this. So that night, stayed up and uh, was working on it. My girlfriend and I were watching movies, and I was on the laptop and you know, coding the bot and getting it up and running, and finally launched it that night. And I posted on Reddit, and I was like, hey, you know, here's, here's Doge Tip Bot. You know, try it out. Make sure it works. So I ended up having, with bots, you have to type in CAPTCHAs in order to prove, you know, that you're a real person. Mm. You can't game the system. Right. But, you know, once you reach a certain threshold of uh, what's called karma on Reddit, um, it, it, you can bypass that. And yeah. in order for, you know, a bot to be a bot, uh, you constantly don't want to be typing in these CAPTCHAs. So I put a little, a little ridiculous picture on the Dogecoin subreddit and said, hey, I'm Doge Tip Bot. Uh, you know, my owner's try t- tired of typing in CAPTCHAs. Uh, you know, here I am. Uh, when I woke up the next morning, it had hit the front page of Reddit, had like 3,000-something upvotes, and I was fucking floored. I was like, what the hell just happened? Um, since then, we have not seen the bots slow down. It's All it is is we're just throwing change at people on Reddit. We're throwing literally fractions of a penny. Uh, that first week, we had like 500 users uh, register. Um, now, as of basically today, we're at about 63,000 users that are using the bots. And so I sign up for the bot. That allows me to to send some of my Bitcoin or Dogecoin. Yeah, yeah. So to someone. Yeah. Right? So what what it is is uh, you know we're we're currently just on Reddit right now. So people mm. with Reddit accounts they log into their account and they send a message to Doge Shipbot. And Doge Shipbot, all you need to do is just send a message saying register. And what Doge Shipbot will do is it'll send you a message back saying, "All right, you're registered. Here's your deposit address if you want to send Dogecoins to you to your address." And what really happens, though, most of the time is that someone's going to get tipped. So, like, let's say I'm wandering around Reddit, looking at posts. I'm like, this is a really fucking good post. Let me type in plus you Doge tip bot, 100 Doge. And I hit enter, and it notifies the bot. The bot sends 100 Doge coins to that account. What we've seen with this is that people love doing it. It's uh, It's been extreme viral growth. Like, we've done... Uh, in the last five months, uh, at the current time of exchange rate, so uh, at the time the tip occurred, you know, Dogecoins like I think right now, a uh, thousand Dogecoins is worth about forty nine or forty three cents. So in the last five months since the bot's been up, uh, over one hundred ninety thousand U.S. dollars have been sent to people on Reddit. Hmm. So it's been wow. amazing. Yeah. Now, do you get a cut of that? No, we're actually 100% free. So we, we don't take a percentage. We don't take a transaction fees or anything like that. And uh, where's the processing power coming from? Uh, surprisingly, it doesn't take much. Mm. Yeah, we've got a couple of boxes that run the, the core software. Um, it, it's not a lot of overhead. We're just mm. dealing, I mean, this is basic financial software. So it's just, right. you know, one, plus one, minus one. Right. Uh, mm. We don't need to do a lot of crazy computations and what's your 
like what's the future what's the plan so the future we're we're trying i mean one of the things that we realized early on who's we by the way so it's myself i'm the i'm the ceo and then uh, my buddy david uh, i went to college with he's uh my my chief development officer he's uh much more intelligent than me when it comes to programming so i realized early on i'm like i need someone fucking smarter than me to start running the software Ooh. so i called it i called david up and i was like hey man um so what if I asked you to work for me full time and work on Doge Tipbot? And he's like, I would quit my job tomorrow. <laughs> really? Yeah. So are, him and I are now. Are you paying him in Dogecoin? Or? No, I'm actually paying him in real money. Actual yeah, money. <laughs> actual money. You've got some of that hidden away somewhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, we've actually got some money. So <laughs> now, do you have like? Are, are, oh, sorry, I interrupted you. So, so the future? How, so the, yeah, the how future. are you going to make money from this? So what what we figured out early on is that we've solved one of the problems that uh, a lot of a lot of people have tried to figure out and solve. Which is, you know, how do you enable microtransactions on the internet and have people actually want to use them? Right. Um, it didn't really occur to us until about a month or two ago that we had solved this problem because we were looking at our data and we just couldn't fucking believe the numbers because people were sending about a thousand dollars to two thousand dollars a day in Doge coins, but when we looked at the actual numbers of like how much people were spending, it was like two cents. So people were sending two cents to each other and really enjoying it, and it was adding up to like two thousand, three thousand dollars a day. So what we wanted to do was take this concept on Reddit and then expand it out into the entire internet and then eventually real life. So what we want to do, and of course this is kind of the business model that we're working on, is allow for you know, quality content creators to have the ability for their readers, listeners, uh, you know, fans, anything, uh, to be able to receive microtransactions right? and make it easy, fun, and yeah. public. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I've got this... We were talking earlier. I've got this sub podcast that I just started yeah. uh, like a week ago, and um, yeah, it's like a subscription mm-hmm. thing, and you pay twenty bucks, and you can listen to all of them. But I, I feel bad because it's a pain in the ass entering your credit card information, your address, yeah. your email, and I could, you know, I could certainly understand someone who say, "Hey, I'd be happy to give you the money, but I, I don't want to give you twenty minutes of me fucking around." It's not right. Not that it's twenty minutes, but. You know, just it's a hassle. Yeah. So if you could just click, you know, hey, send this guy five bucks, boom, click, do it, it's done. Yeah, that would, I would do that a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and that's kind of like, you know, the Bitcoin 2014 conference is happening right now in uh, Amsterdam. Mm. And one of the common themes that people have been saying is, you know, credit cards weren't designed for the internet. I mean, it's a 55 year old technology. Like, it really is an advance. You know, it's full of fraud. Fraud, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. credit card Big fraud problem. is huge. And, you know, the company, you know, Visa, MasterCard, the big companies, they're so entrenched right now right. that, you know, they're not going to change. Like, you know, they can just eat the fucking cost of fraud. Well, we were talking about this earlier, actually. I got gas today and my friend was with me. She's like, oh, don't pay. Don't use your credit card. They'll steal your identity. And yeah. All this it's like, yeah. Like, OK, they'll steal your identity in a restaurant. They'll steal mm-hmm. your identity online. It's like there's nowhere. It's it's not just the machine at the gas station right. that's going to like rip you off. And that you probably know in Europe, you've got microchips and credit yep, cards. Yep. In the United States, they won't do it because it'll cost the credit card companies a little money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fucks. Well, and, and from the merchant side, too, it's like, you know, you look at the fees of what you get charged for a credit card. Yeah, it's like 2 3%. 2 to right? 3% plus a transaction fee. So it's like you're paying 25 cents plus yeah. a 2% or 3% charge. Right. And with like most of the Bitcoin processors right now, it's. It's either, like I know Coinbase, they do up to a, your first million is free, mm. and then after that, it's 1%. Your first million coins. Your first million U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars, yeah, really? Yeah. So, okay, 
Now, this is why I, I never really made it in math because mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the concepts, but I get lost in the, the the technical details of things. Oh yeah, I'm still not really clear what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> and that's know? why I keep referring to it as magical internet money. <laughs> yeah, because like I mean, the the best analogy I can put it is this, this way. You know, everyone, most people drive a car. They don't understand how the engine works. Like I don't fucking know how my internal combustion engine works. Yeah, most people have a cell phone. They don't understand how the underlying operating system works. Yeah, but those are physical things that you can... You could take them apart and look at them if you True. wanted to, right? Yes. And they exist on a physical plane. What? What? The problem I have with this is... I've traveled all over the world. I've, you know, I, I remember... Uh, you know, buying Laotian money, right? You know, and you'd like you'd get a hundred dollars worth of Laotian money, and you would need a suitcase to carry it around, and it comes in these big, you know, stacks that you are stapled together, yep. and you know, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, you know, so I'm accustomed to the the idea that money is imaginary yeah. in itself, even paper money, whatever. But the thing is, if you're talking about dollars, no matter what happens in the world, a dollar will have a more or less stable value within the United States. True. Right? Compared to a euro or a yen or whatever, who knows. But within the U.S., as long as you're buying something that's made in the U.S. from American materials and all that, a dollar will be a dollar more or less. Yeah. But with this Bitcoin, who the fuck knows? You know (laughs) what I mean? I don't... There's no, and also with the dollar, you've got government backing. Right, right. Whereas, again, with Bitcoin, it's like, well, what's backing it? What yeah. is it? Yeah, it's, it's just, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, uh, he was, he's been on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast a number of times now. Mm. I think it's the second time, but he was on there the other week. And uh, he's got this, this famous kind of speech that he gives, which is currency is a language. Right. So we're all kind of born and we just learn, you know, we learn U.S. dollars. Like, that's our main language. But there's also a number of other languages out there. Like if we wanted to go to you know, Laos and uh, you know, try to use our U.S. dollars there, then we have to exchange it for another one. And with every currency, you have people that accept it. And that's really what gives a currency value is, is you know, I go anywhere in the U.S. and I can spend my U.S. dollars. So right. these magical pieces of paper, you know, I can give them to someone and they'll say, oh, I'll take that. So with things like Bitcoin or you know, with any other currency – it really comes down to who's going to accept it. And if people choose to accept it, then it actually has value to them. Right. Um, most people, you know, if you go... The, I was down in San Francisco a few weeks ago for uh, Dogecoin, San Francisco. And he gave a speech there and he said, well, imagine you go to the middle of Africa and you have a tribe that has two currencies. There, one has a picture of an old woman on it uh, who people call the queen. And one has a little cute little dog on it. <laughs> They aren't going to know the history or the backstory of where these currencies come from. All they care about is the fact that they can use these currencies to buy eggs or buy a chicken or buy you know, food. So currency, all it has is the ability to uh, – it's a means of exchange. It's a means of, right. of determining value based on what it can be used for and if it's actually being used. So if no one's using a currency, it doesn't really have any value. But if people are actually using the currency, then it does. With government-backed currencies – um, you know, the government has the guns. They have the power. They have the authority. That gives them uh, the force of, what, like, you have to accept this. This is our fucking currency. Use it. Uh, with something that's more decentralized, you, you don't have to accept it, but there are benefits to accepting it. Like what? 
uh, low transaction fees. The fact right. that oh, you're not true. responsible, you're you're responsible for your own security of this currency. Um, it's stable. You have you know the you know how many coins are actually going to exist. But is it stable? The value is not stable. The right? val- well, the value is not stable if it's tied to the U.S. dollar. The thing about the U.S. dollar though is that you know at this, any given point in time we can always say, oh yeah, we're just going to add another trillion dollars to the to the, <laughs> to the reserve. Right, but with Bitcoin or any of the decentralized digital currencies, you know exactly how many coins are going to exist over the course of the lifetime of it. Right, but if its value is going from uh, fifty dollars to a thousand dollars in a year or whatever mm-hmm. it was, and then back down to four hundred dollars, and nobody knows why. Yep. I mean, at least when the dollar's fluctuating, you know, they're saying, "Well," and again. I don't know to what extent this is bullshit, right? Cause yeah. I always, it always amuses me when you see these financial guys on TV and they're like, yeah, the stock market's down today on profit sharing and, you know, concern over, uh, you know, Smith, Klein, Beecham's recent, they're like, how the fuck do you know that that's why the stock market went down? You right. have no fucking idea why the stock market went down today. You're just talking out your fucking ass. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> you know, that's the name of my... Oh, yeah. I, know. I love the name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, Tucker Max uh, yeah. suggested that. Did nice. you hear that? Yeah, podcast? I was listening to that earlier today. Yeah. yeah, and we were laughing in the podcast. And then after, at the end, when we'd already turned off the mics and stuff, he, he said to me, "Like, dude, that would be a good name for this podcast." You nice. Talking, I was like, yeah. "Yeah, you're right, actually." Yeah, I, I liked the bit about the logo. I think that's going to be the the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> all the t-shirts. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, like yeah. What, you're, what you're saying though about you know the dollar, it, it's it's always tied to another currency pair. It's like you're you're never comparing the dollar with the dollar. You're you're always comparing right. it with like, okay, well, how's the dollar doing compared to the yuan? How's the dollar doing yeah. compared to the yen? It's, like, it's how's... like, yeah, what's my myth worth in terms of your myth? Right. And the same thing is happening with Bitcoin. It's like Bitcoin is really tied to the dollar right now. That's why everyone's saying like, oh, the value is going up. Well, the value is going up compared to the dollar. It's like no one ever says, oh, man, the value of the U.S. dollar is really crashing because Bitcoin's going up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all things... It's like in space, there's no up or down. Yeah, you know, it's, that, it's a matter a of perspective. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, now, taking it back further, the dollar supposedly is tied to all this gold in Fort Knox. Right? <laughs> it used to. <laughs> that, that was, yeah. That was know, years ago. The gold standard. Yeah, we dropped that standard. <laughs> well, we dropped it, but we're still holding all that gold. Suppo- I think Fort Knox is empty. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I think that's like the big the big thing that like all those soldiers are guarding an empty vault at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. But if we believe the, the, the story, it's got, you know, tons and tons and tons of gold. Right. Why? Well, and that's the the funny thing about that too is like we're talking about you know fractional reserves and things right. like that. The big thing in the Bitcoin Bitcoin ecosystem right now is you can actually prove that. So if I like, especially with Mount Gox collapsing and you know yeah. people saying, oh well, we didn't have those coins, or maybe they didn't, or maybe they did. Well, with mathematics, you can actually prove. Like if I say, all right, I've got five thousand bitcoins. Well, anyone can come along and say, well, fucking prove it. And you can actually prove it. You can actually publish, you know, you can show the blockchain. You can sign, basically you sign your document saying, this is, you know, I own this key. I own these coins. So you can actually publish that. Mm. You can't ask the government to say, hey, prove that you fucking own all these, or all this dollars that you actually say you have. Right. They'll just tell you to fuck off. But with Bitcoin and a lot of these the exchanges that are not publishing, you know, they're saying, oh, we own them. Trust us. 
they're getting a lot of backlash because the community knows that you can actually publish proof of reserves. So proof of reserves is one of the big hot topics right now is uh, any you know, trustworthy system or any trustworthy organization that's claiming that they own these funds, uh, a lot of folks are asking, hey, well, you know, actually make sure that you can prove that you own these funds. Right. Okay. All right. I'm lost again. I, I, I'm, yeah. it, it happens, especially, I mean, I, I get lost sometimes too. Like, so what's, okay, what's the relevance of this? You know, as far as, uh, how old are you? I'm 31. 31. Okay. Yep. So where do you see this going in the next 20 years? What, how is this going to affect the physical world? I, you know, I, I'm not, you have some real idealists out there in the Bitcoin world. You know, they're like, oh, it's going to destroy the banks and so forth and whatever. Um, I see it, it, it's probably one of the biggest innovations uh, in technology in the last 30 years uh, in financial systems. Um, this is really still beta software. This is like everyone involved right now, these are all early adopters. We're still trying to figure out you know, how this can scale up, uh, how it's, you know, what are the real world applications for it. And if the government's going to let you. Oh, and if the government's going to let us, yeah. Which you know, also comes down to, well, which government we're dealing with. You know, a currency that's accepted around the world that has you know, every single country you can use it in because it's based all, entirely off the internet. So if it's, I mean, if it's banned in Russia, you can still use it there. You know, they're not going to say, oh, you, you can't have you know, these bits and these bytes. <laughs> they can't like block the sites that access this kind of information or something. Or you can always just set up mirror sites. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like trying to shut down the internet. And you know, that's, yeah. that's not very effective. Yeah. So it's it's primarily a technology. It's primarily you know a protocol like like visiting a website or you know anything like that. So 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 does it then like you're talking about Joe Rogan? He's got a, this whole riff on how privacy is over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So is it? I don't know that I agree with him, but I, I see what he's. I see his point. But does this mean that the Financial privacy is now attainable, while personal privacy is destroyed. In other words, I can buy anything and sell anything. I can send money to anyone anonymously, but I can't, like, you know, have a conversation with my girlfriend about how I'm not into black people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of interesting, you know, because it's it's not fully anonymous. It's pseudonymous, where you have you know an address. So I can always send, you know, I can create a new address any given point in time. Like I can generate 100 addresses and I can send money to those addresses and then bounce them around and kind of shuffle money around. Um, but, you know, this, you can always trace it. It's a public ledger. It's a public blockchain. So anyone can kind of get in there and look and say, oh, OK, well, you know, I know he has this address and then he sent coins over here, here, here and here. But eventually it gets a little bit muddy. So, you know, if you have enough, if you have very smart people they can kind of figure these things out it's like out. front corporations exactly yeah. yeah like dealing with shell corps you know yeah. but but at the most part like the, the crazy thing about it is you can send money man I I did a fundraiser we did a Dogecoin's been amazingly generous on the charitable side um, I had a user of mine contact me she was trying to build a, a hut in the Philippines and uh, for the homeless kids in her town mm. and they had the property they had the contractors they had everything they just you know needed like 800 bucks mm. and i'm like well fuck we can raise that like super easily so uh she was just having a hard time the language barrier wasn't working like she would post on the reddits or the subreddit and just no one really knew what she was talking about so i came in and i said hey um we'll, we're, we're gonna try to raise this money for you you know it's probably gonna get funded really quick so 
put it up to post and I personally threw 800 bucks in and then we ended up in three hours raising 3,500 for her. So, you know, if I had tried to send that money via Western Union, I would have had a fucking shit ton of fees. Instead, we just converted them straight into Bitcoin. And then there's a, a payment processor out there in the Philippines that does straight Bitcoin to um, pesos with like a, I think it's a 0.1% fee. Really? Bitcoin to pesos? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's killing the remittance market. Like it's yeah. I mean, when you're talking about you know 10% fee versus a 0.1% fee to transfer money instantly overseas, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, you can tell why Western Union, yeah, and, and banks, oh, banks, yeah. Well, wire transfers, all that. It's yeah. it's insane. So I was able to send her you know 3,500 bucks uh, in the course of like you know a couple minutes. I think it was an hour that it took, and it was right in her bank account. So what what's PayPal think of all this? Oh, PayPal's a little bit scared. I'll bet. Yeah, yeah, they're they're still trying to figure this out because I mean, they're sort of the bridge, right, between wire transfers and and Bitcoin. It seems yeah. like it's a it's a transitional technology. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember when when PayPal got started, but they were you know they were extremely hated by the banks yeah. originally. I mean, yeah. they were they were the young player, new to the game. Uh, kind it was of Elon in. Musk, right? Wasn't yeah, Elon yeah. was involved. Yeah, yeah. There, a lot of you know, Peter Thiel. Um, oh, you know, a lot right. of the big players yeah. now were originally involved in PayPal when they first started, but you know, now PayPal is the giant behemoth. So you know, Bitcoin is almost the new player in the game, or any of the cryptocurrencies. They're the new players in the game that are disrupting PayPal. So PayPal is kind of a little. You know, there's there. You know, I don't know anyone behind the scenes there, but. I definitely know they're looking at it. I definitely know they're trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to deal with this. Uh, I do know that if you try to sell or buy any bitcoins with PayPal, they will close your account. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. So they prohibit. They do not oh, like. Interesting. Yep, they do not like any other currencies. They're, huh. you know, they're kind of playing defensive right now. Is was PayPal ever purchased by a bank or anything? Uh, PayPal's owned by uh, eBay. eBay. Yeah, they got bought by eBay. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Strange. What yeah. a world, man. What yeah. a world. Financial world's very crazy. So how, what are the tax uh, implications of all this? <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Yeah, <laughs> if if right. you talk to the IRS, they'll say, you know, it's taxed as a commodity. So it's like taxes as an investment. Uh, they treat it as an object. It's like it has, especially if you're mining or if you get them, then uh, you have to report the value at the time. Uh, they just published a publication on it. what time? The time that you received them. So it's like, so if a Bitcoin's worth, uh, 450 bucks, and I got one Bitcoin today. Then that's that's what I report the value as. So you would report that as income. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. And uh, what's funny about this is they they fucking released the guidelines like a week before taxes were due. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like nice. thanks guys. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, yeah. I and was then, hoping to sleep this week. I know. And FinCEN, of course, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. They uh, they have a whole different guideline. So they say it's a currency. They say, you know, you have to treat it like currency. It's not a commodity. So you've got two agencies under the Treasury Department saying two different things. So if it's a currency, what's that mean? That uh, So you you pull this currency out of your ass, essentially, when you're mm-hmm. mining it, right? No one gave it to you. Right, right. You didn't. Yeah. Like, so where does it come from? So so the, the common, what we used to do, you know, if, if you were, you know, to report your income to the IRS. So it was treated like capital gains. So, like, let's say, you know, I, I mined like 100 bitcoins and then I sold a bunch and I got like $5,000. Well, then you just t- treat uh, you treat it like capital gains when you sell. When it. you sell it. Right. Yeah. And that right. that was the common understanding up until the IRS said, "Hey, fuck you guys." 
Um, mm. So nowadays, it's still a clusterfuck. We're hoping that the IRS and FinCEN can actually get together and say, okay, well, you know, we need to deal with this. Right. But, yeah, I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. Right. Yeah. yeah. Capital gain seems to make sense. It does, yeah. It's like you buy stock for virtually nothing. Right. What you're paying for it is your processing power. Right, right, right. And then it goes up, and you sell it, and you, you, you're taxed on the gain. That yeah. At, what, 15%, right? Yeah, about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's silly too, because like you look at you look at the IRS and you look at FinCEN, and you, you know there might be a few folks there that understand it, but you're also talking with folks that don't yeah. even understand what you know yeah. how to use a computer or how to use yeah right yeah. There's a generational thing, which reminds me, you know, something I was thinking about earlier. We we're talking about my rich friend Wall yeah. Street and all that. To what extent is this another way? F- except instead of like. You know, Wall Street fat cats ripping off common people. This mm-hmm. is Silicon Valley smart Alex ripping off common people. Yeah. You know, to what extent is this just a way to, uh, you know, to, uh, what's the word? Uh, what was the scam, scam, scam? Well, scam the rubes, <laughs> yeah. right? You yeah. know, the punters. Because, you know, if someone like me gets in there, oh, I'm going to buy some Bitcoin or, yeah. or people are, you know, might tip me or whatever and, oh, I'll save it and it'll go. I don't know what's going on. Right, you know, right. I'd be better off buying, you know, shares of Kodak or yeah. something. Yeah, and it's it's true too, especially if you look at, you know, the meteoric the meteoric rise in value with Bitcoin. It's like right. most of the folks that I got a friend who uh he was mining Bitcoin uh early on. He was a big believer in it back in 2009. Uh I remember hearing about it. Uh didn't really get involved until years later. But, you know, most of the like the early adopters that got a fuck ton of Bitcoin, like they're a lot of kids, you know, it's yeah. a lot of kids and a lot right. of, you know, hardcore libertarians, like, you know, technology people. Right. Um, and criminals. And apparently criminals now, too. Yeah. Right. We've got so, a lot of rich drug dealers thanks to Bitcoin. <laughs> is it a good way to... No, wait. Now, did they get rich because of Bitcoin or is it a way for them to launder money? Uh, if you're going to launder money, cash is easier. Yeah. That's... Really? Yeah. There was actually a... Uh, I think it was a Senate hearing and they were asking about Bitcoin and they're like, yeah, we've we've never heard of a money laundering case involving Bitcoin. Cash, on the other hand, that's how you launder money. Or, or you know, HBC. The, yeah, or the, yeah, if you're gonna launder money, just, HSBC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. Has uh, Matt Matt Taibbi written about uh, virtual currencies? I don't know yet. I, I'd have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I th- he might have done a story on that, or because he's one of the the smarter, more sort of. Even though his education's not in. You know, finance, right? But he got uh, that whole Wall Street beat, and he just fucking went to town with it. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, um, and Michael Lewis, he, he hasn't mm-hmm. has he, he hasn't gotten into this. I don't think he has yet. No, but his last book, which I haven't read, but I've seen interviews. Um, Flash Boys. I think oh, it's called, about the about, high frequency trading. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like. I mean, I'm. It's it's very interesting because there's an element to which. Uh, all this virtual currency stuff and the speculative speculative nature of it and the fact that it's all in computers and yeah. there's no money on a table anywhere or right. diamonds or gold or anything. Um, there are ways in which that feels just like Wall Street. Yeah. And there are ways in which it feels revolutionary mm-hmm. and anti-Wall Street. Yeah. You know, the, the transparency, the sort of um, the spread out nature of it and mm-hmm. it's all on your computer and my computer and his computer it's not all you know on some server at you know at um, Goldman Sachs or whatever mm-hmm. 
I, I, I don't. It's a. Uh, it's confusing to me because it feels. You know, it feels like the thing and its opposite simultaneously. It is. You know? Yeah, and it's such a new technology. I mean, even though it's been around since two thousand nine, we're really kind of seeing a lot of the development happening now. And like one of well, the big. What's the hunger for this? What's What's the impetus? Do you think? Uh, is it just discontentment with a corrupt financial system, or is it? Young people who are fascinated by creating something semi-imaginary and semi-real. I think there's a myriad of, of reasons why it's it's kind of gaining traction now. I mean, there is kind of the dissatisfaction. You have people that say, fuck the banks, fuck the Fed, I want to be my own bank. And there's that draw to it. And I think that was a lot of the original folks that got involved. Right. You know, they were they saw the opportunity. They jumped on it. Right. You know, nowadays, we're seeing a, a lot more merchant adoption. We're looking at merchants that are wanting to accept this. You know, they see the use. They see that the fact is, you know, oh, shit, you know, I'm getting fucked by my credit card company. And, right. And we're paying this amount of fees. Let's try accepting Bitcoin and see if it takes off. So it's super easy to implement. People have been doing that now. And we're really kind of seeing a big push on the merchant side of things. The big push now, I think 2014, 2015, 2016, is going to be consumer adoption, where we... We have to make it less technical. We have to make it easier to use. You know, it has to be something that anyone, you know, whether or not you understand it or not, should be able to say, oh, yeah, I can you know, spend bitcoins. I can buy bitcoins and I can use them. So it's it's kind of an interesting ecosystem. People are attracted to it for a number of different reasons. Um, with it was Farmville. Farmville. Zynga. Yeah. It was far, I mean, I never got into it, but yeah. I remember hearing or maybe it was another one, but there was like a. There was a virtual world where you could buy like a house or something. Yeah. And you would pay actual money for it. Right. Yeah. And then you could sell it. Yeah. And someone would pay you actual money, even though it's all just an online yeah. thing. There was a uh, back in. Was that Farmville or there was Farmville? But, but, you know, previous or to virtual that. Virtual. There was uh, Second Life. Second, Second Life. That's what it was called. Funny you mention right. that. I, I actually. So back in 2005, I think I was on Second Life. And. Uh, it was right when they released their streaming media service. Like, they just added video to the game. And I was like, fuck, this is awesome. Like, I can make TVs. So I made TVs in Second Life, and I sold them. And I made about two grand selling virtual... Actual money. Yeah, two, actu- two grand in actual, actual money, money. If that's not a contradiction <laughs> in terms. <laughs> yeah. So I, this was, I was, True bullshit. I was still in college, and I made a, a TV... Yep, I made a TV that I sold in Second Life, uh-huh. and I made about two grand, and uh, I thought it was absurd. Um, but yeah, people, you know, people do buy things that are in these virtual but worlds. But they're not things. No, they are. They're lines of code. But you know, if you think about it too, it's like my my bank account says I have these things. <laughs> yeah, that are ones and zeros in their accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like. I often I think about this sort of thing in in many different realms, but you know, well, here's an example, a very tragic example of uh, you know we talk about global warming mm-hmm. and you know oh it's going to be too late soon it's going to be too late soon. It, it's been too late for yeah. a long time, yeah. right? And I, I I feel like there are many things like that where we're we're talking about you know oh, you know something's going to happen it's going to happen and but if you really you know took your head out of your ass you would see it happened a long time ago right like oh you know frankenstein you know someday we're gonna make technology that's stronger than us yeah are you fucking kidding me (laughs) (laughs) the technology's been stronger smarter quicker 
you know, for a long time, or right. you know, or uh, I don't know what it was. Oh, oh, the the virtual worlds. Like, oh, someday we're gonna, you know, live in virtual worlds. We live in banks, like you just yeah. said. You know, it's like all this stuff isn't real. There's no material existence to right. any of this stuff. Oh, it's like it's all just agreed upon yeah. fiction. Oh, it's yeah. like the late '90s, and you know, people that were, were like, "Oh, the internet's just a fad." You know, it's, yeah, it, it's a cool thing that nerds like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so do you think these virtual currencies are are going to lead to nerds taking over the world, or have nerds already taken over the world, or? Are you are you a nerd? Are you self- oh absolutely right? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely. A nerd. Do you live in Silicon? No, you live in Northern California. Yeah, right? I, I yeah. grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah, oh, okay. and and I got the fuck out. Um, <laughs> I still visit every once in a while, but I, I prefer the I like the Arcade Way of Life. Humboldt County is very laid back. I love going to the river every summer. Really? Yeah, so you're sort of a you're a, a, a rural nerd. Yeah, I'm kind of a, a an anomaly in Humboldt County. We don't have a lot of programmers. We don't have a lot of software developers. We've got you know, two, there's only really now with me there, uh, two or three big software companies. Stream Guys is the other one. They they do like NPR streams. Oh. Yeah, they're based out of Humboldt County too. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would think the the commercial marijuana scene would attract some nerds. Surprisingly, I mean, it attracts more horticultural nerds and you know geneticists and kind of that. We've got a big yeah. uh, you know, yeah. botanical community and yeah. I was in Nepal a long time ago, and when was that? That was probably. 88 or something like that i was i was in uh, pokhara in western nepal and mm-hmm. one day i was sitting in a cafe and these two dudes walk in two american guys wearing short sleeve shirts and shorts and it was winter in nepal it was <laughs> fucking cold and they walk in and they, they had like a blanket or something and they, i was drinking um oh, what was it? millet yeah they have mm-hmm. millet yeah, yeah. And they stick a, a straw in it, and yeah. it's like slightly fermented. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Nepal? I have not yeah. yet. No, it's a Tibetan. It's kind of like mate, the, yeah. the Argentinians. So I was sucking on the millet, and these guys come in, and we start chatting. It turned out their story—they were so funny. These two guys were like old buddies, mm-hmm. and one of them was a backhoe operator, <laughs> and the other was some sort of like postdoc plant geneticist. Yeah, who had just like finished his degree at Berkeley and. And they were friends from childhood. And what they had done was the backhoe operator used his heavy equipment to cut a path into like the middle of nowhere, yeah. you know, and they planted marijuana back there. Yep. And, and he would stay back there and like tend it all summer. Right. And then, you know, a couple friends you know, that they trusted, they'd all go in and harvest it and all that. And the plant geneticist was like creating new strains right. and doing yep. all this like high tech stuff. And so they had just sold that season's harvest and they had a ton of money and they were sitting stoned in San Francisco in the late 80s and watching TV and they're and they're like, we should take some of that money and just go somewhere. Let's yeah. just go somewhere. Where should we go? And they, they're like, just oh, Nepal. Let's go to Nepal. And they're like, so like, you know, four hours later, they're on a flight to Nepal. Yeah. Not even thinking, like, it's fucking cold in Nepal, brother. Yep. So they get to Nepal, they're freezing, they don't know what they're doing, and they're on this, um, the, the I guess the reason they picked Nepal was they, they kept saying they were, they were going to find the hidden valley, or the secret <laughs> valley, where this special marijuana plant grew. And the idea was they wanted a marijuana plant that grew very quickly with a short growing season. Right. 
you know, that's what the yep, geneticist yep. was thinking. So it was just this like silly the, the, quest the, that the they were The search for the Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was sort of a Monty Python like oh, thing. Man. It was so funny. Yeah, and they and they were all jet lagged and delirious. <laughs> and, and I knew a Nepali guy for some reason. I guess he had guided someone and I bought some hash from him. So yeah. I introduced him to them and then he took them on trips up, you know, to find the secret valley. I lost track of him. Why the hell are we talking about that? Oh, uh, we got sidetracked. <laughs> we started talking about Humboldt County. And, Humboldt and County. And then, of course, yeah, we yeah. start talking about weed. Marijuana <laughs> nerds, exactly. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, interesting. So uh, is this, I mean, I'm looking for, you know, transitional things that have led into this. And Second Life was one of them. The other one I think of is the sort of... Um, local currencies that spring up and oh, i think yeah. portland had yeah, one portland had one i know arcada had one I, i've seen a lot of these you know local community currencies pop up and, yeah which seems to be a politic you know back to the politics of yeah. things the local currencies have a very uh, overt political uh agenda which yeah. is keep the money here absolutely don't yep. go to walmart because right. then you're sending the money to fucking china yep. right keep the money in the community yeah, yeah is there is there any it seems like the these virtual currencies are sort of in alignment with that philosophy on some political level but on another level they make it even easier for the money to disappear and go off who knows where into the ether yeah is there any sort of impetus within these communities to to create a local virtual currency well i mean it's it, if you that, look at it, like if you look at the no ecosystem i mean i down in Arcata, I was on the economic development committee for a while, and uh, we we did you know we looked at the studies on you know if you spend your dollar locally, it, it you know there's a multiplier effect of you know a lot of it goes back into the community. So mm-hmm. when you spend money outside the community, it doesn't have the same multiplier effect. Right. So it's like every dollar spent locally equates to like I think it's like two about two dollars you know, spent within the, the ecosystem. But on the the digital currency side of things, um, the nice thing about you know being able to have like let's say I convert ninety percent of my funds into U.S. dollars and I keep ten percent of Dogecoins or Bitcoins, uh, and I use those to transact with my merchants. Well, it's it benefits both of us. It benefits us because we don't have to deal with U.S. dollars. We don't have to deal with the exchange rate. We don't have to deal with the transaction fees. You know, I can just send you the Bitcoins and it's instant. Uh, a prime example of this when I was down in San Francisco. Um, I was speaking in the startup showcase uh, at Coin Summit, and uh, I got accepted after I had paid my um, my fee for the conference. So I was having lunch with the organizer uh, after the conference, and I was like, "Oh, by the way, I totally forgot. You know, can uh, I need to get my re- my uh, attendance fee refunded because I was a speaker?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, sure. How much did you pay?" And I was like, "Oh, five hundred. So he whips out his phone. And he's like, "You got a Bitcoin address?" I'm like, "Yeah." So show him my, my phone with a QR code on it, and he sends me 500 bucks right there. And within a minute, it was on my phone mm. and my account. <laughs> now, how is that different from Google Wallet? Uh, no transaction fees, and uh, I control my own coins, or I, I control my funds. So like, let's say, let's say Google Wallet shuts down. Um, I don't have any recourse. I can't go to Google Bank and take out my money. Right. Um, with Bitcoin or any of the decentralized currencies... Uh, you control your own private keys. So if I were, you know, let's say, uh, let's say a bank fails and all their money is now gone, and they say, "All right, sorry, you guys, you're fucked." Um, that's the case we've seen. That's you know, right. kind of the mo. Right. Um, and especially with some of the online exchanges too. With with Bitcoin or with any digital currency, if you have your own private key and you keep your money in that account, no one can come along and say. 
Uh, I'm going to take those coins. So that didn't happen at Mount Gox. People weren't left. What empty. happened with yeah? What happened with Mount Gox is we kind of this is where the the Bitcoin ecosystem and infrastructure is changing and kind of growing into kind of the the more grown up services. Is that Mount Gox was they owned all the private keys. So if uh, if you sent you know coins to Mount Gox, um, they owned your coins. So they could do with their with those coins whatever they wanted to. Um, it was almost like an IOU. So mm. you sent the coins to them. They own the private keys. It's like a deposit. It is. A, yeah, it yeah. is a deposit. So, right. you know, a lot of people were trusting them with their coins. Right. Um, and, you know, trust is a big thing. Um, you know, if you trust yourself to keep, you know, I trust myself to keep my private keys safe, backed up, so forth and so on. Uh, a lot of people were trusting Mt. Gox to keep their, uh, their keys safe, which they obviously didn't. So... In this infrastructure, you know, it gives you the freedom of choice. So if I think I can, you know, store my my bitcoins and my Dogecoin safely on my computer, keep my stuff backed up, make sure I don't have a hacker come in and try to get my keys, keep stuff encrypted, then I can actually, you know, basically be my own bank. What if you die? That's a good question. Um, probably have to put the private keys in my will. That might be uh, the best way to do it. Uh, you know, kind of hand over the keys to my attorney and say, and there wouldn't be any any inheritance tax because nobody even knows it's you. That yeah, right. Well, so if you like, if you you're right, you told your girlfriend, look, yeah. okay, keep a copy of this, and then you go off and have a motorcycle accident, and then she just has she accesses it, and nobody knows it's you, it's her, no, nobody knows. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. just the person who has these keys. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like hmm. yeah, it's. I mean, if you sorry, lose... I didn't mean to bum you oh, out no, with the no, motorcycle. That's, a, that's actually a good question. I mean, yeah. I, being in IT for a long time, we always had what we called the bus envelope, and the bus envelope is well, you know, you're you're responsible for all the servers. What happens if you get hit by a bus? You know, so there's always the contingency plan of you know, if you die, how do we get into all these machines? So, right. Yeah, it's something we've you know, and professionally we've dealt with for a long time. Right. So. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm I'm mentally exhausted by this. I'm trying to keep up with you, and it's I gotta say it's it's way out of my my uh, areas of expertise. You want you want to jump into the fun side of things? So because we we I've got a bunch of fun stories. Okay. All I right. thought this so, was fun. Oh, oh no no geez. no. So right. so Here Bitcoin is Bitcoin's kind of the serious business side of things. Right. Dogecoin, on the other hand, we've done some crazy shit. Mm. Okay. So it was a coin that started out as a joke. Right. Uh, the first thing we did was, you know, we had this this massive, you know, my tip bot came on on the scene. People just started throwing change at each other. Are there other tip bots or is it just you guys? There's been other tip bots. There's a Bitcoin tip bot. Uh, there's uh, other coins have tip bots, but none of the other coins have seen the success that we have. Okay. I mean, we're huge. Um, so early on, you know, people were just throwing change at each other. And uh, one guy, his username was fucking... It was Itchy Crap Hole on Reddit. Came up with this idea. He saw that the Jamaican bobsled team needed money to go to the Olympics. And he's like, well, fuck it. Let's try to raise some money for the Jamaican bobsled team. So within about, I think, a week, we had raised, I want to say, twenty-five dollars or $35,000 to send the Jamaican bobsled team to the Olympics. That was how we got our first start. <laughs> now, was this the first? This was, yeah, this was back in December. So of, we we sent them of uh, 2013. 2013. So okay. we sent them to Sochi. Uh, with, oh, to Sochi. Okay, yep, right, right, yep. right. They did horribly in the race, but it was so fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was our first fundraiser. Uh, the next one we did, I think, was um, we did a 
because we were all excited. We're like, holy fuck, we actually sent a Jamaican bobsled team to the Olympics. Like, it's the whole fucking cool running story all over again, but with a joke coin with a dog on it. So that got us, you know, kind of in the spotlight for a minute. And then we were like, well, well, sheesh, we can actually do something awesome. Like, we should do something for charity. So we found a cause uh, that was for service animals, for families that couldn't afford them. Mm-hmm. And we raised, I want to say, $25,000 for them. So we did that. So we is the Reddit community of people who use Dogecoin. Yeah, yeah, the Reddit, our Dogecoin community. Right. Now, as you do these things and you get press. Yeah. Does that increase the value of the Dogecoins? Surprisingly not, no. The, 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 I mean, some people think it does, but we've looked at the events. It kind of increases our, our uh, visibility, I should say. Right. You know, the number of people that come on board, use the coin. Right, that's what I was thinking. It would yeah. attract new users, which would create demand, which would increase the value. I'm just thinking if that were the case, then that's a, you know, a case of doing good by doing well, yeah. whatever that expression is. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, the value has actually been pretty stable, mm. um, which is amazing because if you think about how many new coins are being added to the market every day it's you know in the millions and millions of coins right so for so it means the value is actually going up yeah yeah because there is an inflationary effect that it's counteracting right when speaking of value value of a doge coin against the dollar let's say it's worth 10 cents mm-hmm. when someone is in uh you know france are is there an independent value toward the euro or is are they looking at the value of the dollar and, and extrapolating from that there's both so oh. there are there are a number of different exchanges worldwide that deal in different currency pairs mm. so you know like any foreign exchange market if you were to if you were to go to europe and there's a number of uh, foreign exchanges too so it's not just the u.s uh you know canada's got a big exchange that deals in dogecoin uh, overseas there's a number of exchanges that deal in dogecoin as well so those pairs actually exist as well uh, Kraken, uh, which is based here in the U.S., um, their biggest market is actually uh, Europe. Mm. So they don't even do any volume in the U.S. They don't even are there with... European-based? There are, virtual yeah. Virtual currencies? Yeah. Uh, Moolah is based uh, out, of, out of Europe. They do a lot of currency pairs. Oh. So it's, it's, there's so many ex- different exchanges that you can actually trade in. Um, and you know, people are doing arbitrage between exchanges and things like that, too. Wow. Wow, interesting. So, yeah, I, whoever contacted me first and was, was mm. telling me about this yeah. told me a lot about the, this charitable aspect and that it was a way, and that there was a lot of humor involved in it. Yeah. And, and uh, like you said are, at the beginning, we are not ridiculous. taking ourselves seriously. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the latest thing we did is um, we, we actually sponsored a NASCAR car. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So yeah, the number number ninety eight, Josh Wise, he uh he's kind of an underdog, you know, apparently he was a good racer. And uh, he just had a team that was like grossly underfunded. They couldn't find a sponsor. So this this Reddit user that was part of the our NASCAR community, uh his username still cracks me up. It's uh Unicorn Butt Sex. Um, <laughs> a lot of butt going on. I know, here. yeah. What's with the butt stuff. I, I'm I'm surprised that none of the the big media outlets have picked up on his username <laughs> and actually said it on air. <laughs> unicorn butt sex. The unicorn butt sex. Yep. So he con- he like reached out to our Dogecoin and said, "Hey, you know this guy's really cool. You know maybe we can get a, a wrap for his car for uh, Talladega." And it happened. We raised like fifty five thousand dollars to get fucking dogecoin on this race car 
That's great. And it was uh, my girlfriend and I. We woke up, you know, on Sunday. We woke up early and we watched the race. It was just surreal, like looking out there and seeing a fucking giant ass Doge, like the dog, on the hood of this car at Talladega, driving around. <laughs> And we're like, yeah. You guys are going to have a horse in the Kentucky Derby <laughs> in a few years. <sighs> Fuck, that's strange, man. It's the internet, man. It, we've done some crazy shit. Well, have you ever heard of the Yes Men? Yeah, yeah. You guys should sponsor the Yes Men. We could probably, yeah. they do some great shit. Oh, man. Oh, it would, I, yeah. I love their, and, and the, the sense of humor is similar right. to, to the, the ethos that you're talking about. Yeah, you know? yeah. Do you ever see the thing where, where he goes on the BBC pretending to be from uh, DuPont? Oh, yeah. That was awesome. After they bought the Union Carbide. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, if you're listening to this and you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Yes Men Union Carbide BBC and you'll you'll come to it. This guy goes on the BBC claiming to be an official spokesman for DuPont Chemical. And he says, uh, well, you most <laughs> listeners are too young to remember this, but there was a Union Carbide chemical plant in India that released a toxic cloud that killed, I don't remember how many thousand people. It was a lot, but yeah. It was a lot of people. Killed them dead. Completely fucked up tens of thousands of people. Uh just this cloud just like went across the landscape, just suffocating and horrible, horrible situation. And the the guy who ran the plant just got on a plane and left India. And, you know, they completely, uh, they never paid for medical care. They're just, you know, classic colonial bullshit. And uh, anyway, so this guy goes on the BBC and announces that uh, DuPont is setting aside $100 million uh, to set up a medical care for the survivors of this thing that was 20 years earlier and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the, the BBC took him completely seriously. The stock price of, of <laughs> DuPont Chemical plummeted. It turned into this big thing. And like half an hour later, they're like, no, it wasn't real. It wasn't real. Yeah. They do. They do really. I mean, that was sort of a, one of the more sober things they do. Oh, yeah. Did you see the Reburger? No. Do you know they're making a movie out of the... Uh, yeah, the well, there, yeah. there is a movie. No, there is, yeah. The Yes Men Save the World. Oh, no, no. They're making a movie about the uh, DuPont incident. Oh, really? The yeah. Union Carbide I, thing? I saw a trailer about that. Yeah, Really? About oh. the Union Carbide, yep. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So I think that's coming out soon. It looks pretty good. Yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, check out the Google the Yes Men Save the World. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's uh, a good one. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. <laughs> Gives you an introduction to what they do. Um, what what about Reddit? I just a, like a week ago, I got an email from somebody saying they wanted me to do an AMA on mm. Reddit, and you should. It's uh, well, fun. I wrote back that I'd already done one. I did yeah. one like a year ago or something. I don't know if people do them over and oh, over yeah. again. Yeah. But I, I never heard from them again, so yeah. I assume they looked and like, oh yeah, he's already done one. And yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe they'll write back. Reddit's an interesting place. Yeah, I can't figure out how the fuck it works though. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I did the AMA and yeah. I've gone in occasionally and looked, and it it just seems like a list of headlines to me. It is. It's it's basically it's a series of communities. So there's a number of communities. You can start your own or you can kind of sub- subscribe to the default one. So uh, there's almost a subreddit for everything, you know, whether you're yeah. into bicycling, mountain climbing. Uh, so it's a question of finding subreddits that interest you. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry. So whatever you're into, there's probably a subreddit for it, yeah. you know, from the tame to the crazy. Um, some of the default ones like IMA or an Buxom AMA. some unshaved Asian girls. There's probably a subreddit for it. Really? If, if not, then it will be after this, this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's it's a great I mean it's it's a crazy place. And it's really, you know, every community has its own subset of users, its own rules, its own moderators. So it just kind of allows you to connect with people that normally you never connect with. What the the what was his name? The guy who committed suicide recently. Did he start Reddit? Oh, oh, yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, um uh, MIT. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what was his name? He was, he was his being name. completely yeah. fucked by the government oh, yeah. for bullshit, for releasing it was for releasing academic papers. Yeah, right? it, was, it was the Lexus Nexus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was one of the yeah. He was one of the original co-founders of Reddit. Um, him and uh, Alexis Ahanan. Schwartz, Aaron, Aaron Schwartz. Schwartz. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, Aaron was involved in in co-founding Reddit um, as well as a number of other folks. Um, yeah, it's an amazing place now. It's it's kind of I mean, it was something I talked to Alexis about. Yeah, you know, he was one of the founders, and um, you know, it, it's for him. It's like we we kind of felt in the same situation where something we you know considered to be just something we started early on has now become this big thing like mm. you know does shipbot with 60 like 3000 users now um and processing you know, thousands of dollars a day in tips you know, it was just something i created sitting on my couch on a saturday night <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> but yeah reddit's a it's a unique place you know mm. it's one of the top 100 websites um millions of people visit it every day um it's a really interesting community too. The our Dogecoin community is you know, it's being described as the friendliest place on the internet. <laughs> how, how much time do you spend online on an average day? Uh quite a bit, depending I mean online quote unquote uh can also include me wandering around town on my phone or you know right. me on on my laptop or me in the office. Um anywhere from on an average day 6 to 12 hours. Also depends on how the weather is outside. <laughs> Being an arcade, if it's raining, I'm online yeah. a lot more. But yeah. if it's sunny, I'm out at the beach or out at the marsh or out in the forest. <laughs> well, that's good. You've got to have some balance. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, I, I know this makes me sound like an old fogey, but it, it, I don't know where people get the time to do stuff like this. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I feel like I'm always fucking busy and like people are hanging out, you know, like, Oh, check out Reddit. Like yeah. really? When the fuck am I going to check out Reddit? <laughs> you know, seriously, I can hardly like answer emails and, and, you know, respond to people who are saying hello on Twitter or whatever. Maybe that's my problem. Ah, uh, yeah. Like... Well, you know, every, it's, it's interesting because, like, everyone picks their communities that they attach themselves to. It's right. Like some people are, are drawn to Twitter. Some people are drawn to Facebook. Some people are drawn to Reddit. And as I talk to more people about, you know, Dash Tipbot and the services we're kind of expanding out into, it's like everyone has their, their home base. You know, mm. some people spend all their time on Facebook. Some people spend all their time on Twitter. Some people never use anything and just communicate via email. And, you know, other people, like, they're they're more just social and, like, oh, call me and we'll get coffee or something like that. So everyone really gravitates towards these communities that they consider their home. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So uh, how long have we been going here? An hour and a half. So it's a good time to wrap it up unless Sweet. you think there's something that we've missed. No, I think we uh, we covered quite a we bit. covered it's it pretty up. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you came, man. Yeah. That, that, was, that was interesting. I was a little... I have to admit, I was a little uh, like unsure whether this would be interesting because it's something I know so little about. Yeah, you know, yeah. That was, I don't even know of... enough to know if it's going to be interesting. But you, you definitely know your shit, and you make it, you make it fun. Yeah, thanks. So it's thank it's always interesting coming onto something new and something I've never heard of, and then you know finding out about it. I'm like, oh, this is fucking cool. Yeah, I, yeah I think we'll have a good time. <laughs> um, tell people, is there? I mean, www.dogetipbot.com is the website. Yeah, right? you, you can Doge. always yep. We can do 
the plug for the the tip bot. Yeah, dogetipbot.com. Uh, you can also Google for Dogecoin, D O G E. Um, we're on Reddit. That's where you'll find a lot of us. And uh, yeah, come on over. We'll we'll send you some Dogecoins, get you tipped, and uh, we'll have a good time. All right. Well, maybe we'll set up a, an account. You can you can tip me with your Dogecoin uh, Dogecoin users out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be generous, motherfuckers. <laughs> Support the podcast with your Dogecoin. I don't know what I'll do with it once you send it to me, but you know, maybe Josh can tell me. All right. Thanks a lot, man. That was fun. Thank you. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.